Hey, everybody. Welcome to another podcast on AlanArnett.com. It is Wednesday, April the 6th, but it's actually Thursday, April the 7th at 7.33 a.m. in Namchi Bazaar. And look who we have on the video, Garrett Madison. Hey, Garrett. Hello, Alan. <laughs> so it looks like a beautiful day there in Namchi. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the sun is out and it's going to be a nice day for trekking up the valley. We're really excited to be here. Got in a few days ago and uh, had some blue skies, a little bit of clouds. But yesterday we got to see Everest, Lhotse, Amadablam. So just really happy to be here. At the Everest View Hotel? Yep, exactly. Up from the Everest View Hotel. Yeah, yeah, cool. So um, I know, I mean, good Lord, it seems like you're never home. I mean, you, you must, you sleep in a tent. How many, how many nights a year do you think you sleep in a tent? Oh boy, more than half the year, probably uh, seven or eight months, yeah. I guess, on a busy. <laughs> you know, in 2011, I did the seven summits in a year. Um, I did something like that, but that was for one year. And you've been doing, you started, I did some research on you, so I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. And your first summit was on Amadablam. I think it was in your first summit in the Himalayas, not the Karakoram, but when you're at age 24 in 2003. Is that right? So 2003, myself, uh, Mike Hamill, and Justin Murley were on Amada Blom after a Choi Yu expedition, and um, we got up to about Camp 2 and turned back. Um, another climber, a German mountain guide, had just died. He had broken a fixed line and fallen to his death, and so we all turned back. Myself and Mike Hamill uh, decided to head to Thailand and do some rock climbing, and Justin Murley stayed and trekked up to Everest Base Camp and came back and and summited the route eventually when it was in good shape. So I didn't summit Amada Blom that time. It wasn't until 2012 I came back and, and finally climbed Amma. It's always tricky coming back after the first uh, attempt, um, having encountered a tragedy on the mountain. It's always a bit of a mind game, I feel. And then your most recent summit was um, on your favorite peak, Everest, at uh, the ripe old age of 42, and that was on May 23rd of last year. Is that correct? Yep, exactly. Yeah, we had a perfect summer day up there. And you have been on, you've attempted Everest 14 times, and you've summited an amazing 11. Yep, yep, three times. Uh, we didn't get the summit, as you know, 2014, 15, the, the natural disaster, earthquake years, and then autumn 2019, just too much snow and bad weather. So I think so, I'll stick to the spring seasons. <laughs> <laughs> so you think you're going to chase uh, Kenton going for uh, breaking Dave Hahn's uh, record oh, of 15? Uh, I think he might get number 16 this year. So I'm rooting for him, supporting yep. him. Yep. Um, but hopefully I'll get my number 12. So he's he's going to be a long ways out ahead of me. I'm just trying to climb one mountain at a time. <laughs> so let's back up a little bit. So the other thing I should throw into this mix here is that I think I've seen that you have now guided um, and, and actually been with the climbers over 70 people to the summit of Everest. Yeah, over 70 now. Uh, you know, many of those were when I started out with Alpine Ascents and was leading expeditions for, for Alpine Ascents International, and then I split off and started my own company. So combining all the members I've yeah. led, I think it's just over 70 now. One of which, you know, is uh, oldest American to summit, Everest Art Muir, 75. So that was pleasure to climb. Yeah. 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 I did a podcast with Art. He is quite, he's quite the, he's quite the story. <laughs> oh yeah. But you have, guy. you've guided more people to the summit than any other Western guide. And that's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah, I believe so. Yep. Hopefully a few more this spring, fingers crossed. So let's talk about the spring. So um, first off, getting into Kathmandu, no COVID issues, no quarantine issues. 
Yeah, nothing. All we had to do was show our COVID vaccination card and the regular immigration paperwork. So it was really easy. Um, and then nothing else COVID related. Obviously, you know, we are following some of the same protocols we adopted last year as a team, um, just trying to be smart and safe uh, in general about hygiene and health. And we do have um, um, a bunch of COVID rapid test kits if, if we need to start testing folks, but hopefully we won't. Hopefully COVID is uh, becoming a thing of the past. Hopefully. And I understand that most everybody in the Kumbu, I mean, the, you know, the Nepalis and the Sherpas that live there have all been vaccinated at least once. Yeah, yeah. At least all of our staff has. And I think many of the other Nepalis in the Kumbu region have as well. That's super. That's super. So, um, so then you flew to Lukla. Uh, any weather delays getting in? We were so fortunate, Alan. Um, there had been bad weather for about a week with um, lingering clouds and mist and fog in Kathmandu. And the pilots were having a really hard time, mostly uh, not taking off. And uh, then we got some good weather and we got all three of our groups flying in uh, first thing um, from Kathmandu to Lukla and had breakfast there and then trekked up to Fakdang and then got into Namche day before yesterday. Now, do you prefer flying into Lukla? I mean, a lot of people are now are taking helicopters into Namchi. Uh, what's your feeling on that? Yeah, yeah, you know, I like flying in on the fixed wing if the weather's good. I think statistically the fixed wings are safer than the helicopters. Um, it seems like there's a helicopter crash almost every year here in Nepal. Um, so if, if the, the fixed wing pilots are willing to fly, they're a bit more conservative. Um, it seems like a, a good option for us. Yeah. Um, but we might start bumping up to Namche to start the trail from Lukla to Namche is getting busy with the mule trains, bringing all of the supplies up the valley. So we'll see. Hey, what, what happened to Zoes? I mean, mules have replaced Zoes. I mean, don't they have a union or something? <laughs> <laughs> you do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Azokio uh, driver union is not happy. <laughs> Helicopters and mules have taken a good chunk of their business. So <laughs> I bet. Myself. I, yeah, last time I was there in 2016, I couldn't believe how many mules were around. Um, so it looks like that uh, the latest re um, permit release from the Ministry of Tourism on April the 6th uh, has Everest with, um, with 176 permits. So, and okay. then Lhotse is next at 47. But that 176 is down from about 250 this time last year. So it looks like that, um, you know, with everything going on in the world, uh, that is that Everest, uh, the traffic on Everest is gonna be a little bit lower this year. What are your thoughts? That's great. Yeah, it does seem less big. <laughs> it's good for you, huh? <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. Um, but there are more trekkers in the Kumbu, which is great. You know, the, the locals, the lodges and, uh, restaurants they need that business so it seems a lot busier for trekking um, and uh, the fact that there's less climbers on Everest and Lhotse permits that's great for us hopefully it'll mean uh, less crowds on the mountain although um, we we're always able to work around the cloud crowds if we do find some up high on summer day yeah like on that 2019 uh, you know where everything got compressed in the three days you were able to definitely navigate that and go up on and miss the crowds yeah yeah, yeah, we were lucky, but also anticipating what we might have to do if there's somebody on the fixed line who's moving really slow or has stopped just being able to unclip and climb around them. I think that's a, a real essential um, uh, ability to have climbing Everest.
And then last year, uh, talk a little bit about this, Garrett, that you spent uh, just a really long time at Camp 2 waiting for the weather window to emerge. Most people traditionally wait down at base camp, but you were kind of at Camp 2 position, <laughs> and then things kind of got all messed up. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we knew that there was um, a cyclone happening, but there should be one good summit day after that before the following cyclone would hit the mountain. And that day ended up being May 23rd, as we now know. And we got the summit on May 23rd, perfect day. But it was a hard fought battle to get up there in position at the South Call for that summit day. So we got up to camp two, waited out some bad weather, uh, saw the 23rd was looking good, got up to camp three. And um, the 23rd then had been the 22nd, bumped out a day. So we spent an extra day at camp three, just getting hammered by a storm and then moved up to camp four and it was full on survival mode in camp four and then uh, took a rest day and then got the perfect summit day. So it worked out for us, but it was a very hard fought battle. Probably the toughest I've ever had getting up to camp four to be in position for that, that beautiful day. Well, I mean, it's so rare to have two back-to-back -back cyclones that, you know, that hit that early in May. Normally they hit, you know, late May into June. Uh, but I think you spent something like 10 days uh, <laughs> at camp two, which is just, just astounding. So tell us a little bit about your team this year. Um, you know, do you have the same numbers? Are they up, down? What's it look like? So we've got our normal team size this year, uh, 12 clients, um, three Western Mountain Guides, and then, of course, Ong Furva, our, um, our, our Sherpa Sirdar. He travels with us as a guide on the mountain. And then we've got two one-on-one uh, -on -one private teams. So, so in total, we'll have about 20 climbers on the permit. Um, and it's a good size. That's what I try to shoot for every year, 12 12 clients. Last year, we were a little bit bigger because of the uh, combination of the 2020 and 2021 seasons due to the pandemic. Wow. Okay. So it looks like that uh, 12 is, a, I think 12 personally is a really good number. We were talking about this a little bit before that, you know, if you have too few, it's kind of, you know, you've got the dynamics. If it's too many, you feel like you're, you know, just one in a crowd, but you know, if you got a baker's dozen, then that's, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good group yeah. and everybody's healthy. Yeah, everyone's doing well. Um, we're looking forward to heading up today to Debuchet and just getting on the trail. But uh, yeah, everyone's really happy to be here and looking forward to getting up to base camp a few days later on and start training and make our way up through the ice fall. It sounds like the ice fall doctors have already fixed up to camp one or camp two. So our Sherpa team is planning to head up today to reserve some spots for our tents and start moving some loads up the hill. So it seems like an earlier start on the season. Normally the ice fall isn't really opened and um, we're not moving up with our Sherpa team until we arrive at base camp. So that, that's a good start to the season for us. Yeah, I understand that the ice fall doctors used only 12 ladders um, throughout the entire ice fall and they are to camp one. They're, they're probably already camp two by now since that's a rel relatively easy fix unless there's those huge crevasses which have been growing over the last several years in the Western Coon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully it'll be a, a good safe route through the ice fall, but mountains are inherently dangerous. So We'll try to move swiftly and efficiently through the ice fall and get up to camp one. Any thoughts, uh, any instinct or heard any chatter about the snow conditions? You know, because it was kind of a weird winter. Yeah, you know, it's very different um, than a year ago, where a year ago we had uh, forest fires here in Nepal because it was so dry. So it was smoky in the air. Um, it's been very cool and cloudy recently, and there's snow up high around some of the hillsides here. Um, so that's good. Hopefully there's a little bit more snow up on the mountain just to preserve the ice and hold things together a little bit. 
Cool. Hey, I'm going to switch gears on you just a little bit as we wrap up. I, I know your time is precious right now, and you're going to be heading out with the team in a minute. But uh, I just want to make the comment or ask you to make a comment about uh, you've been uh, working with um, uh, Jen Drummond's on her uh, second Seven Summits project. And one of the climbs you guys did recently was over in Russia on the second highest mountain next to uh, Elbrus, Dictau. And I understand that that was just a bear to climb. So tell us a little bit about that mountain. I mean, that's just, it's, when I looked at it, I could not believe how steep and, and, and just rugged. That looked like it was some, that was not, that was not Rainier. <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I feel so fortunate in hindsight that uh, myself and Jen and another climber, Chase, were, over to, we were able to sneak over there um, last September when Russia opened up for Americans um, in August of last year. Uh, because now I don't think we could go there and who knows how long it'll be. Um, but yeah, uh, Dick Tao was just a spectacular alpine climb, uh, water ice three and four in many sections and just unrelenting steep terrain, uh, two ice tools, a lot of front pointing. Um, we climbed with two Russian guides. So we were placing ice screws and, um, and belaying and then rappelling down the route. So uh, had to carry everything with us. No, no, no porters, no Sherpas, no yaks, no mules. And uh, it was just a beautiful climb. Nobody else was up there, which was nice. I guess it only gets uh, climbed a few times a year um, in the summertime. And we got lucky with some good weather in September. So it was a great experience. Sounds like you had to work for a living for a change. <laughs> hey, it's, uh, a holiday. I never have to work. It's great. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I know better than that. I've been with you too many times. Um, so, okay. So uh, you want to make a prediction on your summit date? <laughs> you know, uh, I would, I think uh, all 11 of my Everest summits have been between May 18 to 24. So I would say somewhere in there, you know, right around the 20th, 22nd. Um, but it could be earlier this season if, if uh, things happen earlier as they are now with the ice fall uh, being open and, and our Sherpa is helping move some loads up the mountain. So we'll see. Um, hopefully the weather won't throw curveballs like it did last season with the two cyclones. Um, so we'll just try to get in position as quickly as we can and be ready to go. Yeah, I hear the rope fixing team is uh, aiming to get the route into the summit uh, well before May 1st, which would be, I don't know, a week early, something like that. So yeah, you know, this may be, uh, if the weather holds, you could see, um, you know, summit starting in, uh, I don't know, May 15th or rather than 80% of the summits happen between the 18th and the 23rd, historically, 80%. So you're right in the middle of that bell curve. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, we'll get some good weather this season, good route conditions, and and have a smooth Everest expedition. Well, listen, I'd love to check in with you once you get to base camp after you've done some rotations, maybe around the first of May or something, and see how things are going. Because everybody always likes hearing from you, and uh, you know you're um, you know you're one of the uh, legends right now in in climbing Everest. And so we always appreciate your time and uh, talking with us, Garrett. Well, thanks, Alan. You're too kind. It's great to talk with you and I uh, look forward to connecting again here in a few days. All right. Take care, Ben. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.